Well, Merry Christmas once again. Uh, we're so glad uh, to welcome you to our service here on Christmas Eve. If you've been with us during December, uh, you know that we've been looking uh, at the Gospels, looking at God's Word, thinking about, uh, as a church family, how Christmas brings joy uh, to the world. And tonight, I want to talk to you about the perfect baby name. And most of us take naming our, our babies very seriously. There are books for us to check out and find out about different names. We can go online and we can read all these lists of, uh, of what you should name your baby. Uh, some of us remember the old-fashioned baby books where they just gave you lists of names and their meanings and then maybe something about the original language like Latin or Greek or Gaelic or French that the name may have come from. Uh, but today's list do something different. Today's list uh, recommend names for your child based on the image that you want them to project. For example, if you want your child to have an intellectual power name, you know, a name that makes them sound serious or studious, maybe smart, uh, you can choose from names like Walter or Arthur or Eleanor or Elizabeth. If you want to give your daughter a beautiful girl name, then try Olivia, Lily, Claire, or Bella. If you want your son to have a rugged, tough guy name, well, there are names like Zane and Diesel. And uh, you can call him Stone or Striker. Those are some of the names. And then there are the upwardly mobile names. You know, you want your child to be a successful person. Names like Blair or Gordon or Parker or Charlotte or John or... Lucy or Harper. Well, whatever names we give or names we get, those names are always important to us. And we do kind of get upset when someone messes up our names, right? A few years ago, one of those church conferences where they give you the pre-printed name tags after you register, there was a woman there and she came up kind of halfway through the morning session complaining about her name being misspelled on the name tag. And she seemed pretty upset. So the leaders of the conference said to her, well, what's your name? She said, my name's Sylvia. And then they looked at her name tag and they realized why she was mad because she had been walking around all morning with a name tag that read saliva. <laughs> well, names are also important to God. Uh, for instance, in the very first book of the Bible, there was a man named Abram, and God comes to him and says to him, that name doesn't work anymore because Abram means father of one family. I'm going to name you Abraham, which means father of a multitude of nations. Centuries later, at the very first Christmas, God fulfilled that promise when Jesus was born through the line of Abraham because through Jesus, the entire world, a multitude of nations, has been blessed. I started looking uh, this month at what the Bible tells us about the name of Jesus. And I found some fascinating things. I want to share some of those things with you tonight. And I want you to know this. I want you to think about this. Understanding what the name of Jesus means can change your life. I'll put it to you this way. The name of Jesus is a gift that God gave us at Christmas. And that gift tells us some important truths. Let me share three of them with you. Here's the first one. The name of Jesus tells me that God wants to save me from my sins. This is where Christmas begins. This is the heart. This is the core. This is the soul of Christmas. Let me read you Matthew's account of the naming of Jesus. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. 
Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Matthew's account of Jesus' birth shows us two names that were given to Jesus, and taken together, they remind us of this important truth, and I, and I would submit to you, they make up the perfect baby name. I just think about this. If you were to look up the name Jesus in a first century baby book, you would find that that name means God saves, and that is the most important thing that we can know about Christmas. Now, I'm going to be talking in a little more detail on this tomorrow morning. If you want to come back, we're going to have Christmas morning worship. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, and I'll be talking about that in some more detail. But I want you to just notice one thing tonight about this, one aspect. Uh, the author Max Lucado pointed this out a few years ago in his book, God Came Near. He said that God could have named Jesus something like Reverend Holiness Angelic Divinity III, and everyone would have been impressed, and everyone would have been intimidated. But instead, God named his son Jesus, which was actually a very common name then. We, we don't think about that today because we don't tend in our culture to name our, our sons with this name. But in Jesus' day, it was a very common name. It would have sort of been like naming him Joe, just an average, ordinary name. And it was actually the very ordinariness of this name that suggests his approachability. No one was ever afraid to approach Jesus for fear of being rejected. And the Bible tells us that we can approach Jesus anytime, anywhere, for whatever reason. And that is good news, isn't it? The second name for Jesus was first given by the prophet Isaiah 700 years before his birth. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son. And his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, don't get confused, Emmanuel wasn't Jesus' middle name, uh, but it was a descriptive term, a descriptive name, and it means God with us. And while the ordinariness of his name suggests his approachability, Emmanuel suggests his availability. You see, when you look at this, you understand that God named his son with incredible intentionality. He wanted us to know that Jesus came, Jesus was born to save us from our sins, and he wanted us to know that we can always approach him for forgiveness, that he is always available to us. He is here for us. He is God with us. Do you see how the name of Jesus is an amazing, incredible gift? Well, let me tell you something else that we find in the New Testament Jesus' name also tells me that God wants to make me part of his family. Here's what it says in the Gospel of John, his first chapter. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. 
He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now, just press pause there and notice, John is saying to his readers, do you see the irony? He created it all, and yet the people he created did not recognize him. They did not see that he was creator, that he was their Lord, but some did. Verses 12 and 13, John writes, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. God didn't just send Jesus to become a child. God sent his son so that we could become his children. And that happens, John says, did you see it? When we believe in his name. If you grasp this, it is so powerful because of this reality. Every one of us, deep, deep down inside, longs for this. A father who will love us. A father who will never leave us. And the good news of Christmas is that because of what Jesus Christ did for us, we can be adopted into God's family. So I hope you won't just hear this intellectually and think about it kind of on a surface detached level. I hope that you will receive this in your heart. I hope that you will, you will think about what it means to your security, to your identity. You can be a child of God's. You can be a member of God's very own family. I want you to watch a home visit video. I think you're really going to love it. It's actually a video taken, uh, recorded two Christmases ago uh, by an Oregon family named the Perks. And Michael and Sarah Perks uh, gave their three foster kids some really good news as they opened the very first gift of Christmas. The Perks have three biological children, and they had been fostering these three siblings for several years. Um, and the, they gave the oldest of these three foster children a box with a gift for him to open up. And inside the box are the official adoption papers. I want you to watch what happens in that special moment. For you, and you, and you. It's for all three of you. And you, Do you want to stay seated back so I can... Did you hear what mom said? We just got the papers just two days ago, just in time to put under the tree. You see, Christmas is an adoption story. Christmas is the story of your adoption into God's family when you believe in the name of his son. The Bible says that just like that adoption, this all came through at just the right time. 
I want to take you to something that Paul writes in his letter to the Galatian Christ followers. This is in chapter four of that letter. He says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Now look at the next verse. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. This is so beautiful. Uh, Abba is the Aramaic language equivalent of our Papa or Daddy. And this is telling us, this is the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. He is saying, I came in the person of my son so that I could adopt you as my child, so that I could have a relationship with you, so that you could call me daddy, papa. That means you're not out on your own anymore. You're not, you're not an orphan anymore. You're not a slave to sin anymore. God has made you his own child. You are God's heir. I asked someone this week at Southwinds uh, who has adopted children recently, and they told me that when they went to the San Joaquin County Courthouse, they took some vows before a judge. And they held up their right hands and the judge asked them, do you promise to love and to care for this child just as your own, including this child in all inheritance, just like any biological children? And when they said yes, this judge looked at the child and said to the child, I now officially pronounce you a member of this family forever. And God says to all who trust in his son, you are my child forever, to all who believe in the name of Jesus. And again, this is so very powerful. Uh, in the Roman world, when Paul wrote these words, it meant even more than it does now, because in those days, with no social programs, your security, your welfare, your retirement was all linked to your family. And if you didn't have a family that was connected or a family that was wealthy, a family that could take care of you, then you were basically doomed just to live as an indentured servant or a slave. But Roman law allowed a father to adopt someone into the family. And when that happened, everything changed. When that happened, your past was erased. You not only now had the father's love, you had all the father's wealth, all the father's connections, all the father's estate and property. It was all legally yours. You had the full rights of sons. See, John is saying in his gospel, God sent his son to this earth to make us his children. And when we know that, it changes everything. It makes us secure in our identity. We don't need to strive to find out who we are, to discover identity. We don't need to work hard to boost our self-esteem. We know who we are. We are children of our Heavenly Father. Now, something else happens inside of us when this takes place, and I don't want you to miss this. When we realize who we are, that we are children of our Heavenly Father, it, it requires us, it, it makes us want to reach out to people who don't know God and bring them in. It, it makes us want to reach out to other lost and lonely children. I want to show you another picture. I think most of you have seen this picture. It was taken in August of a five-year-old boy in Aleppo, Syria. His name is uh, Am Amnon Dagnish, and he was in his uh, family's apartment building when a bomb hit, and it collapsed the building. And he was rescued and pulled out. He was put in an ambulance, and a journalist snapped this picture. 
We've all probably seen this picture, but you may not have seen this letter written by a six-year-old boy in America to President Obama. I want you to listen to him reading part of the letter that he wrote. Dear President Obama, remember the boy who was picked up by the ambulance in Syria? Can you please go get him and bring him to our home? Park in the driveway or on the street, and we'll be waiting for you guys with flags, flowers, and balloons. We will give him a family, and he will be our brother. Catherine, my little sister, will be collecting butterflies and fireflies for him. In my school, I have a friend from Syria, Omar, and I will introduce him to Omar, and we can all play together. We can invite him to birthday parties, and he will teach us another language. Since he won't bring toys and doesn't have toys, Catherine will share her big blue stripy white bunny, and I will share my bike, and I will teach him how to ride it. Alex, six years old. Well, that is one sharp little six-year-old boy, isn't it? Do you understand? that God's own son extends that same invitation to you, to all who are lost and alone. He is saying, I came at Christmas to adopt those who believe in my name into my family. He's saying, I will be your brother. He is saying, and I have been collecting lots of blessings for you. You see, when we realize as God's children what we get, when we see that we don't have to strive to earn this any more than a child has to strive to earn an adoption, that it is all granted to us as a gift of God's grace, then our hearts go out to others who don't know God, to others who are lost and who are alone. See, this is what we do as Christ followers whenever we help others, whenever we care for people in need, whether we do it individually or we do it collectively as a church family. We are desiring that they would come to know the gift of Jesus' name. And so we reach out to them and we tell them that Jesus came. He came to bring us all into his family. He came to be their brother too and that he's collecting blessings for them. See, it is so powerful when you begin to see what it is that we receive through that first gift of Christmas, that in Christ, we can be part of God's forever family through his name. I wanna show you one more thing. We also see in Jesus' name that God wants to strengthen me with confident hope. Sometimes we don't wanna think about this truth, this truth that Christmas isn't always light and joy and peace for everyone. In fact, some of us here tonight are grieving. We've lost loved ones. This is gonna be the first Christmas we've had without them. Some of us are here and we're in physical or emotional pain. Some of us are depressed or anxious. Some of us have lost our jobs and we're not sure how we're gonna pay our bills. Some of us are estranged from our family. Some of us are just lonely. And it may be that you're here tonight and you're feeling hopeless. Well, I want to tell you God wants to give you hope, and he gives that hope through Jesus, and we receive that hope through the name of Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, again, chapter 12, 21, Matthew's quoting a prophecy from Isaiah, and he writes this, and his name will be the hope of all the world. 
His name, the name of Jesus, will be the hope of all the world. The name of Jesus gives us hope. You might ask, well, why does the name of Jesus give us hope even when we feel hopeless? Well, remember what we've been talking about tonight. Remember what we've seen. Most of all, we find hope in Jesus' name because our sins have been forgiven. Our past doesn't determine our destiny. We are not enslaved by guilt or shame anymore. Through the name of Jesus, we have been cleansed. But it's not just our past, it's also our present. Right now, even in our present difficulties, even in our present pain and suffering, we are loved by God as his precious children. And on top of that, we are part of God's family, God's people, the church. That means as we face difficulties, as we face pain, we have other people to walk with us through that pain. But even that's not all. Christmas tells us something about what's ahead. Christmas tells us that God has entered our broken, fallen world in the person of his son and that God has inaugurated a new kingdom. It tells us that light has broken through the darkness in the person of that baby born in Bethlehem. And that baby grew up and he revealed God the Father to us and then he died on the cross for the sins of the world and then God the Father raised his son from the dead demonstrating that he had defeated death and sin. And evil. The Bible also tells us that one day Jesus will come again. And when he comes again, he will defeat Satan and sin and evil and death once for all. He will restore this broken earth to its original perfection. When he comes again, he will end all injustice. He will end all suffering and pain. He will end all evil. No more violence, no more racism, no more poverty, no more abuse or rejection or loneliness or disease. See, when we know this reality, when we trust in this reality, it gives us hope. And you need to understand this. In the Bible, hope doesn't mean a wish, like I hope the weather will be nice tomorrow for Christmas. Hope is far more profound and deep than that. In the Bible, hope is the the profound confidence that I can trust God to accomplish his plans. Hope means that I believe, no matter what I see when I look at my life right now, no matter what I see when I look around at the world right now, I believe that God will one day, in his perfect timing and plan, make all things right. Hope. See, Christmas is about the advent or the coming of Jesus. And in Jesus' first advent or coming, he brings us salvation. He gives us a forever family. But the Bible teaches that he will come one day again. The Bible calls that his second advent or his second coming. And that second coming gives us hope because God promises when Jesus comes again that he will win. The New Testament calls Jesus' second coming the blessed hope. And it is that hope that allows those of us who trust in the name of Jesus, who are part of God's forever family because we have been saved from our sins, it is that hope that allows us to rejoice in trials, to give thanks in grief, to face pain and suffering and even death with confidence because we know, because we believe, because we trust in the name of Jesus. His name is our hope. 
And because we hope in his name, we can live now by faith in that future reality. That's the confident hope that God's word promises. That's the confident hope that Jesus came to give. Hope can be ours now. I'm gonna give you a picture of living in confident hope. And this picture involves baseball, which is actually the favorite sport of all people who truly love God. (laughs) Now, if you've been around here for very long, you know that I have been a Giants fan for almost 50 years, ever since the day my dad took me to my very first game and Willie Mays hit a home run. That's all it took. But you also may know that I was a pastor in the Chicago area and lived in Chicago for 13 years. And that means that I have a little place in my heart for the Chicago Cubs. Now, some of you also may know that the Cubs won the World Series in 2016. And at the end of the World Series, there was this amazing moment that I want to show you. But before we get to that moment, I need to explain. See, part of what's so hard about being a Cubs fan is not just that they hadn't won in 108 years, but some of you know this, there was a curse. A curse was placed on the Cubs a long time ago. And so the problem wasn't just that they didn't win. The problem was like that they couldn't win. And year after year after year, the Cubs fans would get their hearts broken. They would come close and look like they were going to win, but then they would lose again. And it was like the curse will never be lifted. And then came this year. The Cubs get into the World Series. But then they fall behind to the Indians, three games to one, and Cubs fans start thinking, are we going to be disappointed again? But then the Cubs come back, and they they tie the series three games to three, and then in the seventh and deciding game, they get this big lead, and it's like, now we know we're going to win. It's finally going to happen. But then the Cubs choke, and they blow the lead, and it was awful. And the Cubs fans were crushed. And the game ends up going into extra innings. And then maybe you remember, then God sends the rain. And it's like it's almost as if maybe the curse was being washed away. And they come back in the top of the tent. The Cubs score two runs. And it's like, yes, yes. And then the Indians come up in the bottom of the tent. Then the Cubs get one guy out. And the Cubs get a second guy out. And Then they walk the next guy, and then the guy after that gets a hit, and they score a run, and now it's only one run lead, and we're thinking, are we going to lose again? All the Cubs fans are wondering. And the next batter comes up, and he hits a ground ball, and the ball goes to the Cubs all-star MVP third baseman, Chris Bryant, and here's the moment. Now, I want you to notice the look on Chris Bryant's face. I want you to see... He's smiling. Why is he smiling? See, the game is still going on. The ball is still in play. The outcome is still in doubt. Why is he smiling? He knows. He knows. No one else knows, but he knows. He has a big smile on his face. He knows that it is finished before anyone else. He knows the curse is done before anyone else. Big smile on his face. Game's still going on, but it's all over. And so the ball comes to him, and he feels it 
flawlessly. He throws it perfectly. He falls down on his knees to praise God. (laughs) And then they win. And they start jumping around and acting crazy like people do when they are victorious. And Chicago just goes crazy. The whole city shuts down. They have this enormous parade, five million people there. I know, I know you're not Cubs fans. And I know you may not really care because your team didn't win this year. And if your team's not the Giants, you haven't won in a long time. Um, (laughs) But that's your fault. But here's what I want you to take away. Here's what I want you not to forget. Because we trust in the name of Jesus, we know. We know. We know the curse is broken. We know that our sins are forgiven. We know that we are part of God's forever family, and we know that one day God will make all things right in this sorry, broken, dark, sinful world. We know. And so therefore we have hope. Therefore we can live with joy now. Therefore we can trust the Father now. Therefore victory is ours now. Because we hope in the name of Jesus. It is the perfect baby name. Would you bow your heads as we pray together? Heavenly Father, on this Christmas Eve, once again, we, we give you thanks. We give you praise. We are so very grateful that you would send us your son and that he would come to show us the way to you. And Lord, we we just ask that if there is anyone here who has never met you through your son, that they they would come to know how wonderful, how beautiful Jesus, your son, is. Maybe even this Christmas Eve, Father, maybe even this Christmas, they would turn their hearts over to you. They would turn from their sins in repentance. They would would trust in the name of Jesus, your son, and receive your salvation. Lord, help us all as we experience the joys of this time to know that it's all about you and it's all about what you've done for us through Jesus. May we know the joy and the peace and the hope that comes from knowing you. We ask this now in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And all God's people together said, Amen.